0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining today. I am speaking with Marilyn Muller. Marilyn is an advocate for education and she does this voluntarily. She's pro bono at this and she's also the founder for Mums for FAPE. Hi, Marilyn. Thank you for coming on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay.
0: So like I mentioned, you were the founder for uh, Mums for FAPE. Now I've been following some of the education stuff, especially over the last year and a bit, this year and a half. Um, if you wouldn't mind talking, like, if we could just start about that, if you wouldn't mind explaining what that is, because I don't think a lot of people have heard that term.
1: Sure. Um, so in the U.S., um, we have children who um, have special education needs, and that makes them eligible for um, services under a federal law um, that's called the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And within that act um, are various rules that guide their education from kindergarten through 12th grade. And within that um, is their right to what's called a free, free meaning, you know, um, they don't have to pay any additional tax dollars for the special education services appropriate refers to what is appropriate and meets the needs of them individually. Okay. And then, uh, public is public funded. Um, so people that's where things can get a little tricky. Public actually means public funded. It doesn't mean that it has to take place inside a public school, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and then education, meaning, yeah, K-12 education. So it must be free, appropriate, public funded education is what F-A-P-E stands for. Um, and so the acronym is commonly referred to amongst the 7 million children and their parents as FAPE. We call it FAPE. We call the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, IDEA, that's the acronym. Some people even say IDEA, um, but I think that gets confusing. So Um, so each of the 7 million children that have been identified um, are entitled to these special education services in their um, district, if it's suitable, um, or in a private placement, it all is supposed to default to what is appropriate for the child.
0: Okay. Obviously, I mean, when you mentioned 70 million kids, so this is, uh, you know, there. You know, kids who are deaf have different needs, and kids who are blind, and then if there's you know physical limitations, this and that. So this covers a lot of different things. It's not just like it's a one size fits all solution. Right?
1: Um, okay. So actually the, the IDEA is, um, the majority is children who have specific learning disabilities, which is referred to as an SLD. And the majority within that is um, actually students that are identified with dyslexia. Um. Children who typically have physical disabilities um, fall under our Section Five Hundred Four, uh, which is the American with Disabilities Edu- um, American with Disabilities Act (ADA). So, IDEA and 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 FAPE actually target educational disabilities, not physical disabilities per se. Okay, okay. so. So people um, that aren't aware just think of, you know, special education is for kids who are deaf and blind or have physical limitations when the reality is um, the majority is are our children that have dyslexia. Um, ADHD or what we call neurobiological differences, it's neurodivergent, neurodiverse. Mm-hmm. Um, those are typically some key words or hashtags that you'll find, um, like on Twitter, Facebook, and you know the World Wide Web.
0: Hey, no, especially since COVID, and kids are staying home. And like I said, I I only started following this stuff a couple years ago, as far as, you know, like like when I started looking at education, I was looking at it from a a different angle, but I started seeing some of this stuff and it's, you know, you look at the numbers and it's already staggering, like 66% can't read. You know, the number that can't do math is higher. So this past year, I mean, you know, plenty of articles about, how kids are being left behind but there wasn't if i hadn't been following this debate i don't think i would have seen you know that you had like students who didn't have things like dyslexia or adhd you know they were already worse off to begin with but now they were even falling further behind so can you talk about some of the limitations of last year and how like did it help highlight things uh With you guys, like with the school boards and stuff, or is it making things even worse?
1: Well, um, I believe that it has been a true unmasking of the issues that parents of children with special receiving special education services have always known. But since we are a minority, um, again, about 7 million children in a system that educates about 55 million so you know no one really listens to us we're we've been seen historically um or not seen um really as expensive to educate uh time consuming a drag on education when the reality is if you become an informed citizen Since we do all fund this system, I think it's more important to be an informed citizen. So if you take the most vulnerable child that's in the system, um, and you can teach that child to read, write, spell, and numerate proficiently, to thrive basically, to do what education is supposed to do, If you, if a school can provide that to the most vulnerable, then all students would thrive. Right. So in my experience, see, my child was in public school in our town, started kindergarten. Like, you know, I did when I was five years old in 1976 And being one of eight children who were all publicly educated, um, I was very naive because I did make the assumption that she would meet all those benchmarks and not face any struggles. Um, And so when she did, from the very beginning, I was really taken aback. So COVID really, I think, made the mainstream parent realize that the quality of the curriculum and instruction in our classrooms, whether it's general education or special education, is not great. The quality is not great. And they now had an opportunity to look through the lens that we never had access to. Like parents, the only way into the classroom is to volunteer, right? And if you don't have time to volunteer because you're working, um, then you basically never really see your child or other children in that environment. So COVID put everyone at home And let's face it, we know the statistics, so many mothers, um, you know, had to exit the workforce to take care of the children and be the teacher and be the mother and be the wife and take care of the house. And all of a sudden they're realizing that their kids don't understand lessons that are grade level. They don't understand the instruction. They're seeing the frustration. They're also seeing the, the quality of the instruction. So if a parent can't understand the instruction, and I'm not saying it's easy to understand common core math or any of that jazz. The point is, if an educated adult can't figure out what's going on, how in the heck are the children figuring it out when they're isolated? in a room, in front of a screen, or with worksheets and no instruction, um, with instruction coming from a parent who doesn't have a teaching degree. So I I think the harsh reality uh, really slapped a lot of parents in the face. Parents who, like me, um have sort of this unearned trust in the system because we many of us are products of the system like typically um public school children who attend public school typically have parents who attended public schools okay because now that my child is in a private school especially in a private school that's for dyslexic children or for kids with language-based learning disabilities specifically, you can't imagine how many parents I've met who are products of private schools, whose children, it doesn't matter what town they live in. Like they could live in one of the wealthiest towns in America, in Massachusetts, and their kids don't go to the, the public schools anyway.
0: <laughs> I guess uh, the, <laughs> Okay, so again, this is just going back with some of the things I've seen now. The other day, I saw this one thing where I think it was in New York State. They were going to get rid of the literacy, uh, was it, the literacy competency thing for the teachers.
1: Yes. And then
0: I saw, I'd, I'd spoken to another mom um, and she's now working with Parents Defending Education and she talked about how in, um, she saw a thing on, on New York State And, you know, the head of the Department of Education came on and said, you know, they were talking, it was like an interview on the news and it was something like a quarter of the teachers coming out weren't proficient in math. Like they couldn't figure out how to do fractions, the teachers themselves. So especially when it comes to, you know, kids with special needs, is it just anyone who gets a teaching certificate can go out and teach any kid or do they have to, like, are they getting any kind of training on... Okay. If you're going to be working with dyslexic kids, this is, you know, these are the needs those those kids are going to have. This is what you're going to need. Or is it just any teacher goes, teaches anything.
1: Okay. So um, if this is where you get to really the root of what I believe is, is the core issue for us in us public schools. Um, Yes. You are supposed to have a special education certificate. Okay. However, so like my child, when she was in public school and she was receiving special education services, that was the minority part of her day. So what I mean by that is the majority of her day, every day, was spent in the general education classroom with a general education teacher that is tasked with trying to do their best to provide my child with her accommodations um, and also trying their best to instruct in a manner that is consistent with what Lauren, my daughter, needs. Okay, so she was when she received her special education services, they were pullouts. Okay. Because they have this whole little thing called the least restrictive environment and inclusion model. Okay. Well, the issue there is my daughter's pullouts for special education services would typically take place during, um, well, what I would say are electives or like, so music, non-academic classes like the fun stuff right so she would miss out on art or music or maybe science or some type of project-based learning lesson to go off and sit in a, a resource room and have her special education lesson Um, but that would be maybe once or twice a day, okay? So the services are a very small portion of a child's day, and the majority of her day is spent in the general education classroom. So if you have a general education teacher who's not trained in how children with neurobiological differences or difficulties, or disabilities learn, then you have a child who's basically lost in the mainstream about 80% of their day. And so to compensate, my daughter would always sort of pair up naturally with someone who would basically be her mentor in class. So for example, like one of her best friends from the get-go is this young girl, Dulcie. And Dulcy, um probably was born reading, okay? Like she's just one of those natural, she's one of those unique, because most kids need to be taught how to read explicitly. She was one of those children who came to kindergarten reading already. And that doesn't typically happen naturally. She's a gifted child. Um, But Lauren was very smart. She paired up with Dulcie, And Dulcie was almost like her teaching assistant. Um, So when the general education classroom teacher would teach like a math lesson or any lesson, um, and they do little breakouts, Lauren would always pair up with Dulcie. So Lauren, from the very beginning learned how to compensate for her own um, weaknesses in the classroom because children know, you know, it's like you and I know the same way. It's the same. Like if someone said, go climb this mountain and you've never climbed a mountain before, you know, are you going to pair up with someone who's got all the gear on or are you going to pair up with someone who's like in their sneakers, you know? You, you can kind of figure figure it out, like intuition, common sense, like, because, you know, Lauren, at least, my, my daughter, is very, very highly intuitive. Uh, you know, I think those are just things you're born with and can't be taught, but she was able to find buddies, friends, classmates who could help her with her math and her, her you know, ELA lessons and things like that. And it wasn't until I, I mean, I always volunteered, but it, it really hit home for me in first grade because I think kindergarten was more like play time volunteering. You know, you were there to just really assist in, in little, you know, like sensory projects. But in first grade, the teacher would give me like these math worksheets and it was It was literally a black and white piece of paper, and I'll, I'll never forget it. it was math worksheet, and they were working on um, like um, quarters and dimes and nickels and and counting money and up at the top was you know like your quarter, your dime, your nickel, your penny and I, I used to always think like why don't they have like actual pennies you know actual change for them to work with and so my daughter, it was when I realized that she needed, she needed multiple, like I I I would get four quarters, you know, 10 dimes, 10 nickels, 10 pennies. And and that's she wasn't even understanding when I was trying to help her with the worksheet. And so I got I got frustrated. And that's when I went to my own purse and and, and got change out. And once she was able to like put her hand on. And I was like, okay, you know, here's four, you know, four dimes, if four dimes are, are 10, you know, t- if a dime represents 10 cents, and you have four, what does that mean? And, and just the fact that she could put her finger and touch the dime and be like, 10, 20, 30, 40 was helpful. You know, she yeah. had something to touch, she had a visual versus just seeing the image of one dime on a piece of paper. And that's when I was like, Oh, wow. Like, you know, for me, I'm a, I'm a not, I'm a linear black and white type learner. Like math was my strong suit. So um, our teachers are failed is, is I guess what I'm getting at. Our teachers are failed in their pre-service preparation courses they're not um, receiving what we call the science of reading and learning um, in the teaching colleges. And so they're graduating ill prepared with how humans actually learn.
0: <laughs> I mean, um, Sorry, I didn't mean to, but like, I've been looking no. at that and it, it's, I mean, just like that, what you just mentioned there. And that's something I've been seeing. It's, you know, you're, again, when you're taking away literacy requirements for teachers in Washington state, I believe took that away two years ago. Yeah, And it's, who does that serve? If the teacher Mm. themselves isn't literate and when I say isn't literate, I mean, okay, they might be able to read and might be able to function daily, but they don't know, you know, I know how to read, but there's no way I could teach a little kid how to read. I mean, I'd lose my patience. <laughs> I think, you know?
1: correct. There's a you difference. Know. Correct. You know,
0: so, and it, I, I think it even said like a- academic literacy. So, I mean, that that's different than just being regularly literate. So that's, I, uh,
1: know, I, it's I, not fair. The whole system is uh, not fair. And I think the reason that they had to do away with it, quite honestly, is the teaching colleges are ill preparing the teachers Okay, And some of some of the teachers that are coming out of teacher colleges right now are some of the same students that, you know, fall in the category of, you know, below proficient readers, below proficient, you know, literacy skills to begin with. So, you know, we know that when kids enter colleges in the U.S., some of them are spending their first two years in remedial class things they should have learned in k-12 through 12. okay
0: okay one other so, thing. sorry go ahead
1: no please go
0: i was going to ask you like because you mentioned they pull your daughter out of her like art classes and music classes and stuff
1: mm-hmm.
0: now first of all that's you know i wasn't a big fan of the music classes but you know especially when i got older i liked the woodworking and things like that but you know, the art classes, or, you know, even if it's a gym class, like it was something, it was other than, you know, do your math and read this. Yeah. 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 But, you know, let's just say there's a kid who is neurodivergent. He, you know, that kid might be really good at music because for whatever reason, the way their brain works, music works well for them. Correct. I mean, you know, or like when you mentioned your daughter with picking up the coins, I mean, there's something about that tactile you know, like, like you're touching something, you're feeling it, it it, it makes it more real or something. I don't know. So an art class might work like that child might be a great sculptor. Who knows? Correct. So I'm sure like, uh, you know, Biden talked about all the money that he put into schools and you talk about all the money that's going into schools and you look at the money that, you know, spent on public schools versus private schools and, you know, public district schools versus charter schools and all that kind of stuff. And then I see a teacher, like I spoke to a teacher this a couple of years back and I mean, I see it every day on Twitter. She started an organization called Clear the Lists. Um,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: And, you know, I'm looking at the list that these teachers have and, you know, the things that strike me the most are like pencil sharpeners. basic, Yeah, or cleaning mm. supplies. I'm like, yeah. United States of America, they say the richest country in the world. You cannot put, <laughs> <coughs> excuse me, you can't put pencil sharpeners in classrooms. But then, you know, you look at, like some of these diversity trainings. Oh, we spent $650,000 on a diversity training.
1: <laughs> don't get me started.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, no, but I, I'm just like scratching my head. It's like, okay, you know what? The, I, I don't even want to get into the content of those things. Cause I like that. That's a whole other story. But if you can't put a pencil sharpener into a classroom, that okay. might be.
1: Then why you know, are you even thinking about teaching them something other than literacy?
0: Yeah. Or I mean, like so, for your daughter or for your know, other kids, smaller classrooms. Like, okay, I'm gonna go back to when I was in uh, grade school. So th- this was the school I was at in. I think it was in '77, and this was okay. This was physical um, disability. So these were deaf kids, but they had a special class for deaf kids. But one class every day, they would come in with us, and it was. I guess it was just to get. You know, us kids used to deaf kids being in school, and for them to have like a regular classroom, I I don't, I don't like. I was, you know, it's kind of like
1: a, it's kind of like trying to, it's an inclusion type model. Yeah, but it was
0: like I said, it was only that was only one class a day, though they had, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. the rest of the day they had their classroom where they were. um, But I mean, some of it was kind of kind of neat because I shouldn't even say neat, but you know, I learned because of that that if I, you know, if there's someone who's deaf or hard of hearing slow down you know pr- correctly Empathy. pronounce the words i mean like yep.
1: yeah yeah
0: uh, otherwise you know kids don't have to think about things like that right and i still yep. learn a little things yep. like that to this day but so i mean couldn't like instead of spending like i said six hundred fifty thousand dollars on a diversity trainer or whatever make smaller pod classes for the children in that school who are you know who have learning disabilities or who are special needs or like
1: mm-hmm.
0: like is is there like when can parents how much? How much can parents actually do about the funding? Like, if you go to PTA meetings and board meetings and whatever, like, how much? Oh, forget about PTA
1: <laughs> because uh, I guess the, the PTA organization, from what I understand, um, you know, I never got involved in things like PTA because from the get-go, my daughter was struggling, and so I was so absorbed in her struggles. There was there was no time for me to go to like a PTA meeting, um, and so what I'm going to say about the PTA is only what I hear from people who have been involved in PTA. And that is that um, apparently PTA is sort of like a, a quasi union cheerleader at this point. So, um, you know, most parents that I know, Steer away from PTA. Now going to a school board meetings, I encourage that for all parents and citizens because again, like I said, we citizens. So whether you're childless by choice or you're a grandparent, or you're you're single and you know, whatever, you don't have to have kids to be um going to school board meetings, but you should be going to school board meetings because your tax dollars are funding the system and the system's primary responsibility, in my opinion, should be to ensure that each child is proficient in reading, writing, math, you know, the three R's, we'll call it. They should be three R's proficient, number one goal number two goal would be like social skills in a classroom, right? Like how to get along with other people, you know, empathy, compassion, respect. Um, and beyond that, I re- it, it, I think maybe number three would be to explore what they, their interests are perhaps like they, they, They get those 13 years to figure out, oh, I really like math or, oh, I really like writing or, oh, I really like art. If you catch my drift, like that, that's the top three things education should be, in my opinion, not activism, not, um, yeah, I would say basically activism because My expectation was similar to what my experience was, that I went to school, I learned how to read, write, and spell, and do math, and I had some extracurricular activities, perhaps. But I came home, and it was my parents who would expose me to cultural things, who would expose me to religious things, who would expose me to travel. and my neighborhood and my environment and, you know, volunteering. Like, that's parents' role, in in my opinion. School is academics. That's what, I mean, school should be for. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay, on this, because I've, again, like, I've talked about this, and and I'm looking at this, and I'm like, it's not just a problem with curriculum. It's not just a problem with this. I mean, there's so many moving parts that are... (laughs) are involved in this. And one of my things was parents don't have time anymore. And ever since like Jonathan Haidt talks about 1985 as a cutoff point. Like any kid born after 1985, you had like the stranger danger scare and all this, and then, you know, more safetyism came in. And now if you let your 11 year old walk to the park, child protective services can come to your door, you yeah. know, like that kind of stuff. So, you know, when I was a kid, we left our house, you know, weekends. We left our house in the morning, didn't come back until the sun went down.
1: Yeah, you're probably my age, right? 50?
0: Yeah, I'm 51.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah, I nice yeah, turned so. 50 this
0: year. So <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, but yeah, so I mean, that's, that, that's, but during that time, parents had time to do all kinds of stuff, you know, and not only parents are taking their kids everywhere, parents are making, you know, they have to, They have to escort their kids everywhere. They can't leave them alone. They don't have time to do anything else. Basically, plus on top of this, then you have the problems of what's in the curriculum. You have the problem what's happening in the college's education. You have what's the problems of what's going down on the board, you know, and then the state level and the federal level. And I mean, I I don't understand. I get why a parent doesn't have the time to like go through a kid's curriculum because. You might get the syllabus at the start of the year and it says, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this. And it sounds great. But until you sit down and actually look at what your kids are doing, you, no one has a time. And then when mm-hmm. you add extra stuff on top of it, like if you have to spend, you know, you, like you, you know, you were talking about spending time with your daughter with the, the nickels and the dimes and all that stuff. Like you're spending time, extra time out of your day doing that. So like, like can you talk about that? Like, like how much time are parents actually having or when you speak to other parents, like, you know, like, like that kind of stuff.
1: Well, you know, I think in the rat race of the world and, you know, two income homes, um, you know, the cost of living, um, again, I think the system <laughs> benefits from this blind faith, you know, like this unearned trust that we go to parent, teach, you know, to, to, parent teacher night or whatever parent night. And you get, like you said, the syllabus for the year and you know, you're like, okay, this sounds great. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then you're, you're like, cool. You know, because I mean, let's face it. Some of what you do in the filtering process is where you bought your home. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you go and look for a home, at least when we did, it was like, what are your priorities? I want to know how well the school districts rated. Right. So there's like this inherent trust that really, I don't believe anyone should have. Um, And so you look for those things to compensate for the lack of time, whether you have four kids whether you have a blended family, like I have a blended family, I have, you know, my husband and I lived, you know, in an adjacent town, and his two older children lived, you know, primarily with their mother and went to school in that town. And we spent a lot of time wasted traveling, you know, to see kids to be involved to go to activities like, you know, half of America is like divorced. So, you know, the blended family thing comes into play and, you know, you just have this blind faith, blind trust in your school system. And there, there's also a certain amount of it's their moral and ethical and professional duty, right? Isn't at least that's what I expect.
0: Yeah. You Um, expect teachers to teach.
1: Yes. You expect teachers to teach and do the right thing. Like teachers have always been held in, in my opinion, in, in high regard, you know, teachers are an extension of parenting. I do believe that to a certain extent. Um, I mean, hell it's, it's the law in the U S like, you have to send your, your child has to go to school. um, And if you don't, they'll take your child away from you. So your child has to go to school and your child's in that school building for six to eight hours a day. There's 24 hours a day, you know, they are sleeping 10 to 12 of them or eight or whatever. My point is, it's about a third, you know, so a third of their life of each day is spent in a classroom, the other third with the parent, the other third sleeping, we'll call it.
0: Can I ask so, you about sorry, I just want to ask you about that. Like you have to send your kids to school. I mean, it's the same thing in Canada. Like I, I think up until the kids 16, you know, legally you yeah, you're, 16 uh,
1: drop out
0: if yeah. they want. <laughs> but yeah. But isn't there also the other side where the state actually has like, isn't there some like I, again, like I'm just you know, stuff I read and so I might be getting this wrong. The state is legally obliged to provide all children with an adequate adequate education.
1: Yes. Yeah, because we're paying. We're paying for. I mean, yeah, it's a compulsory education system. So yes, yes.
0: So that's
1: all part of it.
0: (laughs) So if they're failing special needs kids, I mean, you know, and I'm not a huge fan of like legislation, you know, like litigation and all this stuff, but if you're actually failing that many kids, I mean, isn't there like? Uh, you know, and not not every parent can afford this, and this is a, again, you got to go through a you know a lot of loopholes. But like, is there a legal?
1: Uh, yeah. Well, recourse you for know, you guys? Of course there is. You have, yeah. I mean, I, I truly believe we have the largest civil rights class action lawsuit. Um, that is a dream, but you know someone's got to be willing to take the case. And it's funny that you even bring that up because, you know, I became an advocate because of the injustice that my daughter endured in the school and that me, myself and my husband and endured in what we call IEP meetings, which is supposed to be the meeting where, the school and the parents come together to agree upon the services that are appropriate for the child that has the special needs. And we're supposed to be a team member, but we're treated like we're not. Um, And so I became an accidental advocate um, because of those injustices. And When I did my research, there's so many layers to this onion and it's can probably get very boring. But my point is that, you know, in doing my own due diligence before when we we push came to shove with my daughter, you know, you have to go and look at, okay, this thing called due process, which is where you you say, well, the school district and the family have come to an impasse. The child is not making progress and something has to be done now. We made best efforts to work with the school district, um, which we did over 18 months, and she still was not making progress. And so you, you get to this point where you're like, something has to give. And so your choice is to sue the school district through due process, basically, or to remove the child and homeschool or private school or something of that nature. But again, all these things cost money. They cost yeah. money to do. Okay. So not everyone can do it
0: you know, on that. Like just kind of sticking with this, because if you're going to homeschool, then you have to, you know, one of the parents, like, Time, just, yeah, money.
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> one, one of the parents
0: and I'm assuming it's usually the mum has to stay home and uh, you know, educate the ch- coordinate children. services. Yeah. yeah. But what about like, like, I, cause I am seeing again, a lot of the, you know, the, the legislation that's coming out and the push for school choice and then like, you know, micro schools and like little, little school pods and things like that. I just remember one, I can't remember what state it was. Cause I'm following a lot of it uh, where they said, okay, you know what? You can homeschool your kids, but then your kids can go to a local public district school to join in extracurricular sports.
1: True, they so, can do that in any state.
0: Oh, okay. No, I, it was it was announced as some great victory in some state. That's why it was.
1: Oh yeah, no. You're if you live in the town mm-hmm. and you homeschool your child, um, this the child should always be eligible to participate in extracurricular activities with the district
0: kids. But but like more on the school choice thing, like where they're making. You know, a couple of states said, "Okay, we're going to have the the money follow the students, not yep. the school." Yeah. If parents, like, now if I was in legislation, I'm and I okay, you pass. Let's say you pass that kind of law, but then, you know, you don't have any structure there. Like, if if the government wants that to succeed, they would have to put in a structure where they can say, you know what, here are some resources you guys can use, and you can form a micro school for your neighborhood or something. I, I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. you know but so are you seeing anything like that or is it just, okay, no. great. You're going to get the money. Like, I mean, you know, fine, whatever they spend, you know, $15,000. I, I don't know the numbers, you know, $15,000 per student uh, per year. And they go, okay, here's your $15,000 for the year. But if a parent doesn't know or doesn't have the time, like what are they supposed to do with that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's a huge dilemma, um, but you're finding a lot of people. So like, I have a, a, a close connection um, Dr. Sanders is in Texas and she started her own school. Um, it's called Safari Smart, small schools. And, um, you know, she has, I think over 20 years in the public education system. And she said, I've had enough, you know, I got into this because I love to teach children and, you're telling me what to teach, and what you're telling to me to teach is not teaching children how to read and write and do math and you know I'm frustrated and the children are frustrated and I, you know I'm out of here, so I give her a lot of credit because you know let's face it teachers who do leave the system they walk away from you know certain things um, benefits and and things like that anytime you leave the job right mm-hmm. so um the other thing is that all of this legislation that's taking place is sort of happening in a vacuum. So we don't really know what the fallout is going to be from it. Okay. So, like, if you follow Corey DeAngelis, um, you know, he's on top of the legislation state by state, and he'll say, like, in New Hampshire, which is, you know, a, um, an adjacent state to where I live in Massachusetts, they have passed um, key legislation, not only for, uh, really for all kids with, with respect to, um, you know, funding students, as we call it, versus funding systems. So they're, they're on track to fund the students. And they also recently just passed legislation, um, into law that puts the burden of proof in like a special education situation like mine on the system. Whereas currently the burden of proof about whether the education is appropriate or not is on the parent in all the other States. So, um, you know, all of this is developing. I mean, what I would encourage parents to do what I would do if, if, I, if we didn't have the resources to fund a private school, um, I would find other parents of similar, with children of similar ages, similar likings, whatever the case may be. Um, and a teacher who's not happy with the system And set up your own little neighborhood pod. I really would because like my child has been privately tutoring since she was in second grade when she actually, no, actually the summer after kindergarten. So, um, but those weren't great tutors. Um, she was with a great tutor, um, beginning in second grade after we, after we, had her privately evaluated at Massachusetts general hospital. And they're the ones who identified her dyslexia. Um, but a teacher like that, you know, that maybe eat, let's say they make a hundred thousand dollars on the, on the high side because in Massachusetts, that's about what they make, but we also have high standard of li- cost of living up here. Um, you could get five, even 10 kids. Say you have 10 kids and you have 15,000 per child that's $150,000 for a teacher, right? And you find a great teacher who knows how to teach. Reading, writing, and math is all of about maybe three hours in a day. The rest of it, if you really go and you you walk around a school in a day and you, you say you were to shadow a child for the entire day, of those six to eight hours, you have recess you have you know five minutes in the hall switching between each class lunch recess you know uh p.e. like a lot of wasted time
0: now one one thing i'm just kind of curious about like i know with your daughter because dyslexia is one thing but like you mentioned adhd Mm -hmm. now again i'm you know not a parent or anything like that but I remember hearing about it in like the 90s and stuff and then you know you keep, you keep reading about it like okay, they're just giving kids medication and medication and medication. Yeah so like has that become like the de facto thing in schools where you know the kids you know you know the the, the kids fidgeting around too much just get them some Ritalin. like or uh-huh. is it like are have they gone from trying to actually you know, you're dealing with the kids themselves in a different way because no, I mean no. giving kids drugs just does not seem like a good idea. Like, especially things like, you know, riddle and whatever.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I actually have, um, you know, a very personal perspective on this. Um, and not everyone is going to agree with me mm. and that's okay, but you know, you have to do what works for you and yeah. you have to do what works for the child. So that being said, um, my stepson was, Um, originally diagnosed, I think in kindergarten with ADHD. Um, and he, he definitely was a boy, what I would, you know, growing up, I have seven brothers and sisters and moms would say, oh, they're all boy, or she's a tomboy, or there were ways that they would say like those, those kids who always needed to be on the go or doing something were. You know, oh, they're all boys. So that being said, like my stepson, Jake, who I refer to as my son, because I've known him since he's five. So our son, Jake, was identified with ADHD and he struggled in the classroom. And of course, I did not have direct interaction in his education for obvious reasons, um, because that is the parent's responsibility. But I always got the second hand um, version of the goings on from my husband. Um, and so they did not medicate him until I think middle, middle school, because what was happening is he's, he struggled all through the early grades, the elementary grades. And when he got to middle school, it was becoming like sort of a desperate situation. And so, Um, the parents were like, okay, maybe we should give this a try. And to be honest, I believe that generally speaking Ritalin and and these medications are quote unquote sold to parents as like the fix, so to speak, like oh, here, take this pill and your kid will focus and the school will be fine, right? But that's not the case because typically ADHD is comorbid with, it has a high comorbidity with learning difficulties like dyslexia, like dyscalculia, which is your math disability, like dysgraphia, which is your writing disability. So there is a high likelihood that a child that has an attention deficit or hyperactivity disorder also has a learning difficulty. So just because you medicate them to take care of the hyperactivity or lack of ability to focus piece doesn't mean that they're going to be able to understand a lesson. If the less if the way the lesson is instructed doesn't meet their educational needs okay mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I, I do believe that parents think that if, if you take care of the focus then the education's fine. but that's not the case in most situations like you can give the kid pump them full of Ritalin and they can focus 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 but if you have a teacher who can't instruct them how to read, or do math, then what good is the riddle one?
0: Yeah. Um look, I don't want to keep you too too much longer, but I have a couple other things on these. Like, but look okay, at like like it's it's these kind of things. So again, going back to the school choice, because you know, again, just outsider looking in on this, and you know, there were some parents who said, you know what, my kid actually did better with the distance learning. You know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now Again, this might put more more effort, you know, cause more effort for the parents, but you know, if you've got three kids and one does really well in the public school system, one needs a charter school or private school, and one can do like some form of remote learning. Why is it such a big thing to let parents choose where they want to send their kids? Like what what is like You know, I, I, don't, I don't get the, like, I, if the whole point is to have an educated population, because I'm with you, like, like I said, I don't have kids, but when I'm, you know, when I'm a senior or I'm retired, I want my doctors to know what the hell they're doing. You know, I, I want my engineers to be able to build a bridge. That's not going to collapse when I drive on it. I feel you know, like I want the people who are taking care of my pension and whatever, making sure that I get my money every month. Like, you know, like, like the, I'm being purely selfish about this.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, it all boils down to this. I believe that, you know, true equity in education is a literate child at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. right? If you, if you can't read and write and do math proficiently, like grade level stuff, then how equitable was that education for society? Forget about you just forget about the child for a second. How equitable was that for the taxpayer and society? It's not because you know the this the the justice piece of this, this that the way it affects society is, I believe, massive, unquantifiable, like so. Why can't you educate your child in the way that is most suitable for that child? I can't even answer you other than to say that it is a control aspect. It has to be because why can't you access? Why can't you take the dollars that are allocated for your child and educate them at any school, whether it's homeschool, online school, private school? Because ultimately, the goal should be the best possible education for that child. Why do you want a child sitting in a classroom struggling, illiterate? So frustrated that they lash out and they hurt people or hurt themselves or they become depressed. I mean, the only way I can explain it is my daughter, by the end of third grade, was illiterate. She could not read or write or do math or spell at anything above like a 60%. If you like, we're so like an F. She was failing. She she didn't meet the standard for the you know state mandated assessment tests, and her whole persona, her whole personality, totally changed in those four years. And we're talking about a little child. We're talking about six, seven, eight years old that doesn't want to go to school that. Is yelling and frustrated. And then, you know, the day she goes to a private school, part of the private school enrollment process is they shadow for a day and they get to go to the private school and they get to spend the morning shadowing kids in classrooms. And it's a nerve-wracking day for a parent, or at least it was for me. And when I went to pick her up, I remember being so nervous. And we got in the car and I said, I know, I know, I know. You're going to miss your friends. And my daughter said to me, no, mommy, can I come back here tomorrow? And I cried because at that very moment, my, my eight-year-old child knew she was able to articulate that this environment was so different. It was an environment she, as, as angry and frustrated and, and illiterate as she was, she came out of four hours in that school and said, can I go there tomorrow with enthusiasm? And and now, fast forward four years later, my child is above grade level proficiency. She's a sh- Not that I care because I told her, I don't care if you get all D's for the rest of your life as long as you're happy and making progress. My daughter's a straight A student. That's awesome. She's in the, the highest academic placement in her seventh grade class. Yeah, it's awesome for her, but... Yeah child
0: has that ability okay now like i said i don't want to keep you too too much longer but i just i have to ask this like it's and i even thought about this when i was in university and stuff and i was just like there's a lot of people here who don't need to be here but yeah you know and i started college and university in the late 80s and even back then they were kind of going away from you know trade schools and technical schools and they're just like you got to get a college education you got to get a college education yeah like is there any kind of pushback on that or is are you seeing anything starting where you know what maybe you don't need to and again like there's like how many history majors do we need like you know like like you know like you know about it but you know carpenters mechanics all these things like they're
1: I mean, quite honestly, you know, um, just just anecdotally speaking, some of the wealthiest people in my town right now (laughs) are the plumbers, the electricians, and the tradespeople. And you have all these college-educated kids who go to BC and BU and here and there, because, you know, I live in Massachusetts, which is, like, some of the best. Universities in the country, in the world, and these kids have a degree in this, a degree in that, and I'm like, oh yeah. So what are you doing for the summer? Babysitting. You know, it's like what? Yeah, like but, but, it's a, it's a waste because they're they're told they're they're also sold a, a very bad bill of goods. These kids think that if they go to college and they have this degree that they have some kind of guaranteed success in life and then the reality slaps them in the face and they're like holy crap like I have no skills to even operate a register at Starbucks yeah
0: but I mean okay even let's just say you go through med school you know you come out of Harvard med school or I don't know how much Boston College is but your Harvard med school is like fifty, sixty thousand 60 thousand dollars a year and mm. you're a, a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt yeah I mean you know I'm not saying That's doctors. my niece. You know, I, I'm not Just saying like doctors, babies. you know, doctors make decent cash, but to pay off that 250000 or 200000 it's going to take you 20 years and it's, but you know, you get out of, you know, trade school, what did it cost you? Like 10 grand maybe. And a starting, yep. a starting like, you know, first year plumber m- mechanic guy who does drywall like, you know, like carpenter framer, like they make decent cash. And they don't have that huge debt load.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you know, there's two ways to look at that. Number one, like my niece, for example, um, her college debt is bigger than it was when she graduated. Because of, I guess, interest. I don't know, the way they pay. I don't know, whatever, whatever. So, okay, great, whatever. Then you have kids who, who go to like a technical school and, you know, they get out and they're working right away and they have basically little or no debt. Um, and you're also forgetting the fact that trade schools are, I consider a form of art because like to find a good plumber, to find a good electrician, to find a great drywaller, or even a home builder, whatever the case may be, that's a talent. Like, not everyone can build a house, just like not everyone can do open heart surgery. So, yeah. I think there's a lot of untapped potential that is being lost on this. Oh, you got to go get a college degree. And these kids, they struggle through four years because their parents make them do it. They graduate with debt and then they have no job.
0: Yeah. But I mean, okay, like, just aside from, you know, and I agree with you, like, you are know, a good, let's just, think, let's just say, let's say, cabinet maker like a guy who's a really good cabinet maker I mean like you can make some gorgeous pieces of furniture but you know to be a carpenter to be a mechanic to be a plumber to be any of these things you need to know basic maths so I mean yes you you do so like if you're in a high school and you've got a wood shop and a kid who's having trouble in math class might actually understand fractions and understand like angles building something in wood shop because he's doing something tangible or she's doing something tangible and it's Right. Or, or, or even something is like you, know, and I'm not that's saying that's project
1: that, based learning. That's yeah, and, what I, that is. <laughs> and I don't talk
0: about like woodshop for boys and home ec for girls because in, no, like I in, know, I
1: know. In,
0: in my high school, we had home ec, and everyone took it. But like even something like home ec, you're learning to cook, you're learning to yeah. budget, Life you're learning, skills. you know, yeah. like and it's and you're learning something. You know, yes. like it's not it's not like a like I just I always laugh at a friend of mine because you know he's the same age as me, and even to this day, like he can't make like craft dinner without following the instructions on the box and i'm like come on man like it's you know, like it's just, you got to be able to do something like,
1: like no i literally had to help my stepson teach him how to boil water
0: yeah, and i'm
1: I, not joking i'm yeah. not joking so yeah I mean, I, he he didn't know how to use an atm yeah, so, uh it's it's
0: it's that, that's it's scary
1: I, out there yeah,
0: but i mean you know also like for myself like i'm i'm a geek i work in it and you know i was good in math whatever but I took woodshop. I like woodshop. I like working with my hands. I like doing something. Like, you know, it was, was, I guess it was something tangible and it's okay. I built this. It's not, you know, yeah, I got a hundred percent on my math test that you, you feel good or whatever, but like actually building something in woodshop or, I you know, like take the AV class and you're learning how to develop pictures and things like that. Like it, you know, it's, it's a sense of accomplishment as well.
1: Hell yeah. I mean, people. People, um, there's a huge undervalue of, you know, that sense of accomplishment. But you're right. I mean, that's why, you know, we focus, I focus on the science of reading and literacy proficiency because literacy is life. If you don't have, you know, basic literacy proficiency, how do you do any job? How do you even fill out the job application?
0: Look. Uh, like I said, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Just one last thing, like I, if you want to yeah. let parents, if you want to give like a last pitch for parents, like what they, you know, what they should look out for, what they can start doing to, whether or not it's special needs, but if you if you specifically want to speak to special needs, you know, parents of special needs kids, like what they should start doing in their neighborhoods, like you know, tell them about your organization, what you know, what they can, how they can get a hold of you, anything like that. Well, um, you know,
1: our. Uh, first of all, I think that they should all go to at least one school board meeting. They don't have to speak, but they should observe to see what's really going on. Um, you know, number two is, is, you know, being engaged in your community in so much as like, you know, talking to the teacher like, you know, were you trained in the science of reading? Do you know how to teach reading? Like, um, is this a balanced literacy curriculum or is this like a structured literacy curriculum? Um, those are, those are probably, you know, two key things, science of reading, structured literacy. If a teacher tells you, no, you should be concerned. Um, Let's see what else. As far as our our organization is really as grassroots as it gets, we're a group of moms who um, became advocates because of the injustices in our special education experiences. But while advocating, our eyes were open to all education, so general education, and realizing that it's not just our kids who – are struggling to learn to read. It's most kids are struggling to learn to read, and it's because our teachers are failed in their their college prep courses. So, you know, our effort right now is we're we're trying to you know, I guess ask for policy change for um, policy change at the teaching college level so that all teachers or at least all colleges that receive federal taxpayer dollars or any taxpayer dollars must graduate teachers that have a certificate in, you know, science of reading. Um, And, you know, as far as our special education focus is, you know, Collectively, as taxpayers, we pay an additional $14 billion per year, historically on average, to fund special education services. And those services are supposed to ensure that each child receiving services graduates um, prepared to further their education, um, gain employment, and live independently. Yet, 79% of them are illiterate. So that tells me that the federal law is a systemic failure and basically taxpayers are being defrauded, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> it's, yeah, $14 billion for, you know, you know, 69 to 74% illiteracy rates of special education students. So You know, I would love to see a congressional investigation instead of investigating, you know, um, GameStop. I'd like to see them investigate special education failures, like something that actually means something.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I I agree with you. Like, again, I've I've been following this for a little bit and I just, and it's even up here in Canada. Yeah, and even up here in Canada, it's shocking because I mean, the more I look into it, in some ways up here, they're hiding some of the numbers and I'm, you know, so it looks like it's, they're doing better than they are. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. you know, you know it, well, it's speaking
1: awful. of Canada, I hope you follow. There's um, some fabulous mom advocates um, and I can send you it over DM, but skimony cricket um, con kids. Let's see. There's a few others i am I'm, I'm going off the top of my head right now but uh, there are you, some canada moms who are active uh advocates and and we're on a lot of threads and together and the it, you know uh the situation is very similar yeah. believe it or not
0: well <laughs> I mean, if you wouldn't mind dming that i'll maybe i can try yeah. to get a hold of them but yeah you know, they're awesome <clears throat> thank you so much for coming yeah, on and course. speaking with me it thank was you. great
1: I hope and you have a uh, enough sound bites.
0: Oh yeah, no, this is <laughs> this will be fine. This is, this is okay. you know, you were awesome. So thanks a lot and uh, Okay, thank th- you. Th- thanks everyone for listening.